The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Business is a competition. There are winners and losers. There's always someone trying to take your business away. And in business, just like sports, there are players, there are coaches, and there is a scoreboard. Welcome to the Business Locker Room with Kelly Riggs. Whether you're a manager, executive, business owner, salesperson, or entrepreneur, the Business Locker Room is a show that will create content and conversations that will help you improve your business. Now, let's join your host, Kelly Riggs. Hey, and good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Business Locker Room, August the 4th, 2014. Great to have you on board for yet another edition of the Business Locker Room. It's the show with compelling conversations and useful content that you can use to improve your business today. doesn't matter if you're in sales, you're a manager, a business owner, an executive, entrepreneur. Maybe you just have an interest in things like marketing, social media, or business strategy. You're thinking about starting a business. You're thinking about going into consulting. Whatever the case may be, this is absolutely a great show for, for you. Welcome to the Business Locker Room. I am your host. I'm Kelly Riggs, and certainly you can find me online. Uh, follow me on Twitter, at Kelly Riggs, K-E-L-L-Y Riggs. And, of course, the, the website, you can find out all the information that you need to know about uh, upcoming shows, past shows, uh, interviews, and guests that we've had on board, bizlockerroom.com. Send me an email, kelly at bizlockerroom. Always looking to hear from you out in the audience and tell us what you, you'd like to listen to, the kinds of topics you'd like to cover, and more and more about our guests. We continue to grow our audience. I'm really excited about the uh, direction that we have gone. Number 17, this is the 17th episode, hard to believe. Miles Austin will join us later in the show for our X's and O's segment. And on tap today, we're going to talk about Canva. Uh, I suspect many of you are familiar with Canva. Guy Kawasaki is a part of that organization, that enterprise. And we're going to talk about what Canva can do for your particular business, how you can use it to make your sales presentations better, your, your all kinds of graphics, including your social media and online things. It's, it's going to be a great conversation. Miles Austin, find him at fillthefunnel.com. Just a little later in the show, our featured guest today, Michael McLaughlin. I am really excited to have Michael on board. He wrote a book in 2009 called Winning the Professional Services Sale, and he uh, runs a company called Mindshare Consulting, and you'll want to follow him and he, he does a lot of great work. MindshareConsulting.com, his blog is there, a lot of podcasting as well, and excited to talk to Michael about what he's doing. But if you're in the professional services arena, we're going to talk about selling in particular to the professional services firm. If you're that type of salesperson, that kind of consultant, uh, this will be a great show for you as well. So we have that on, to- on tap today. Really looking forward to that. And uh, special thanks to 4D Sales. They make our X's and O's segment possible. And that's a sales tool that 
probably need to talk to Michael about. I don't know if he has any idea what it is, but it's an exciting new tool that Miles and I are using, and we want to spread the word as much as we possibly can. I had the opportunity to be in San Antonio this past week and had the opportunity to do a presentation for a group called SMPS, Society for Marketing Professional Services. I would uh, be willing to wager Michael McLaughlin is familiar with that bunch. Uh, but they're part of the AEC market space, Architects, Engineers, and Construction, and they had their national build business conference down in San Antonio, and I had the privilege of being a part of that and doing a presentation there, how successful marketers make the transition from ordinary to extraordinary. Of course, the title alone suggests that someone who's already successful may, may be ordinary, which is sort of interesting in the way you look at it, but how do you make the transition to extraordinary. What, what is standing between you and the results that you're getting now, whatever they may be, and extraordinary? Uh, typically, the ordinary marketer uh, can have some degree of success, but uh, in order to make the transition uh, to extraordinary, you're not going to make the light speed jump from average, below average, or terrible uh, to extraordinary. But we talked about that in the presentation. And here's the question that I ask, and I'd like to ask you the same in consideration of what you're doing in the business world, whether you're a business owner, an executive, a salesperson, doesn't really matter. Here's the question. If the very best person on the planet at your role, whomever that may be, wherever they may be, if the very best person in your position anywhere came to your business and looked at what you were doing now, what would they change? It's an interesting sort of idea. What would they do differently that you're doing now? So many times what dramatically limits people is the ability to look at what changes could be made and the willingness to actually embark upon those changes. It's the same way in the sales arena. Many times as, as we're making presentations to clients, if we don't make the, a compelling case for change, uh, as, as Michael McLaughlin says in his book, an airtight case for change. If we don't do that, then many times they'll forego a better product or better service simply because uh, the change is not worthwhile. It's, it's not worth the hassle that's involved. When you put those two things on a scale, what I get for uh, making the change or what the change is going to cost me in the process, if you, find your, if you find that if the prospect finds that wanting, you will not get a deal. Well, so many times inside of our own businesses, we're doing exactly the same thing. We're simply saying, looking at what it would take to make the light speed jump from, from good or ordinary to extraordinary or to great is simply not something that we're willing to undertake because the pain is too much. The pain is too great. This question highlights that. Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, which has become an all-time classic and so many people have read, the very first line in the book, good is the enemy of great. And so many times because we're good, because we are making money, because we are profitable, because we are hitting our numbers, we don't take the opportunity of that success to take it to the next level or to take it to the ultimate level, to, to reach all of the potential that we may have. But it's interesting when you look at that, and and, and Michael McLaughlin, I think, will, will comment on this in our conversation, but... You know, the, the value of an outsider, an outside consultant, someone with an objective viewpoint, is that there are no sacred cows. I mean, we, we simply don't look at it and say, you know, I would never change that because I know you, you've really got a lot of emotional connection to that. No, I, I really don't care as an outsider, as a consultant. What I care about is, 
Are you doing the very best thing that you possibly could do in order to be successful? I mean, the, the generic answer to the question, what would the very best in the world do if they came into your business or, you, or looked at your department or the role that you play and, and they were going to improve it, the generic answer is they would take it apart, every nut, every bolt, every single piece of what you do, they would pull it apart and they would recheck it and they would go through it again and they would test it against other ideas, other applications, other processes that people are using to be successful. And they wouldn't care where you are. The, the other thing is, quite frankly, is for many of us in, in, our, in the companies that we have, uh, or the companies that I've worked with, certainly this is my experience, is many times we have people working for us who simply don't have the mindset of being as good as we possibly can be, of reaching a level uh, that is defined by the word extraordinary. And many times it is the people or some people within the organization that are preventing us from getting there. And if that's the case, many times the inability to confront that situation is a big part of what's keeping people from reaching their potential of, of achieving extraordinary. Successful marketers can make that transition from ordinary to extraordinary by first identifying the most important things that need to be addressed, that need to be changed, that need to be worked on, and then they need a step-by-step -step detailed specific plan in order to make that happen. But frankly, most businesses are simply too wound up in what they're doing on a day-by-day -day basis. Fighting fire, solving the most pressing problem, dealing with the most pressing issue at hand, uh, the, the customer complaint, uh, the, the order that went awry, the shipment that never delivered, uh, you know, all the kinds of problems that salespeople or business owners or entrepreneurs or executives deal with, they're so engrossed in those things, they haven't stepped back from the micro and gotten into the macro look, the 30,000 foot viewpoint, looked down and said, wow, so many things we need to be doing differently so many different ideas that we need to pursue or at least consider, at least brainstorm with the powers that be. It's one of the challenges with strategic planning, frankly. Too many people look at strategic planning as an event, and it is not an event. It's a process. So we come together for two days, a day and a half, a day, an all-day session. We, uh, we go to some remote facility, and we talk and plan and brainstorm and do all these things. Monday morning, we go back to our offices, and we jump right back into the mess. And we're simply responding to the, the many fires that exist, which, have, by the way, have tripled or quadrupled while we were gone for two days. And we never really get into the real meat of making changes based on the strategic planning we do. The other side of that, frankly, is many times we're trying to make the transition from ordinary to extraordinary in a tactical realm. We're, we're simply looking at some ideas that in and of, it, of themselves in a vacuum are great ideas, but also in and of themselves in a vacuum, they're bad ideas. An idea is neither good nor bad until we establish some level of context. So in the media, or the, excuse me, the marketing world, we're, we're typically looking at social media and, and trying to determine where the proper fit is for us, but we don't have the 30,000 foot viewpoint. What is, even, what is the role of social media? And it, does it play a role in helping us make the transition to extraordinary? The short answer to that question, by the way, is yes. It does have a role, but, but how and when and why and, and what form does it take? But, our, but we, we have crossed over. I mean, the digital divide is, is we are well past it. And if you're not in social media, 
if you're not using it as a definitive part of your strategy, with very, very, very few exceptions, you're going to find yourself way behind the curve. Well, I thought it was an interesting exercise, great presentation for me to be involved with because I got the opportunity to talk to a lot of fantastic marketers and get their feedback, which was uh, very, very good. And really enjoyed being there at SMPS Build Business 2014 in San Antonio. Look forward to going back next year in Los Angeles. Well, we, uh, we have got a great show lined up again. As I mentioned, X's and O's segment with Miles Austin. He'll be alongside to talk about Canva. And after the break, we'll have Michael McLaughlin on board. We're going to take a short time out. When we come back, we'll talk about selling to the professional services firm. We'll talk about sales and sales process in general. Cannot wait to get Michael McLaughlin on board. Stay with us. I'm Kelly Riggs. You're listening to the Business Locker Room. We will be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Kelly Riggs is an author, a highly acclaimed speaker, and a business performance coach for companies and executives across the country. Now in his eighth year as founder and president of VMAX Performance Group, Kelly has written two books, One-on-One Management, What Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't, and Quit Whining and Start Selling, a step-by-step guide to a Hall of Fame career in sales. Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Hey, welcome back to the Business Locker Room. Great to have you on board. The show with compelling conversations and useful content that you can use to improve your business. I like to talk about it as the fusion of the collective wisdom and real-world business experience. It's where those things come together. We get the experts in various fields. We get them on board, and we have that conversation. We take that wisdom and apply it to really practical things. And what I like to do is make sure that we get away with some things that we can use in our businesses today. And uh, welcome in Michael McLaughlin. He is the author of Winning the Professional Services Sale. The principal consultant at Mindshare Consulting, which is a firm that caters to small and mid-sized professional services businesses. So we'll, we'll talk to Michael about that. But he's got quite the background and began his career with, in management consulting at Deloitte. So, Michael, it is a pleasure to have you on board. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Kelly. Well, I don't know how many people are aware of what you're doing out there, but I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that audience grows today and through the podcast version of this of this show as well. But give us the recap, Michael. Tell, tell me what you're doing uh, at Mindshare and give us a sense of what kind of services you offer. Well, I'm, I'm working mostly with, as you said, small to mid-sized professional services firms. Those could be consultants, trainers, speakers, literally anybody who 
offers a service for a fee. So it's not a product-oriented business. It's a service-oriented client, uh, client who I work with. And these are companies that could range from you know, one to three people up to about two, two to 300. Um, I've done work with lots of other larger firms, but I'm mostly focusing on that smaller to mid-sized professional service firm uh, area right now. And the kind of work is kind of all over the map, but if I were to look at what I do the most, I'm mostly helping people with business development. That is lead generation, sales, uh, and you know, bringing in new work. Obvi- obviously, part of that is selling or working with your existing clients. So I do lots of work with people who have already got existing clients and want to grow their business with those people. Uh, And so that's sort of a client account management. Um, But I'm I'm also doing uh, things around strategic planning for firms, looking at what they want to do as they go forward, whether that's with new services, new people, uh, and things like that. So it's kind of all over the map, but it really does fall into those those three big areas, business development, client account management, and strategic planning. Well, clearly, Michael, in, in terms of what professional services firms typically need, they're, they're not typically business developers. Uh, they're experts in a particular field, uh, but typically they're not very good at, at the business development side. By, by their own characterization, they'll, they'll just say, that's not our thing. So I, I would assume there's a fairly large marketplace out there for you. Well, you know, the interesting part of it is that you know, you're right. A lot of them don't want to do it. They don't feel like they're good at it. Most of them are a lot better at it than they tell you. But the the reality is, because the work that they do is generally, you know, has a start and end date, um, they need to create lots of volume. They they need to be continue to generate leads because they do projects. Some of them continue with follow on work. Some of them just stop and the clients go away and don't come back for another year, if ever. And so they need, they have to continually create new leads for their business on a, really on a continuous basis. And it's a, it's a hard thing to do. So yeah, there are a lot, a lot of, um, lots of demand for it because I've never really met a professional service person who said, you know what? I got enough leads. I don't need any more. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Michael McLaughlin is our guest. He's the author of Winning the Professional Services Sale, and you can find him on Twitter at M.W. McLaughlin. I'll spell it for you, M-C-L-A-U-G-H-L-I-N, and, of course, his website at mindshareconsulting.com. When you talk about professional services, Michael, what comes to mind, for me at least, engineers, architects, attorneys, accountants, physicians, that kinds of thing, am I leaving, am I, am I leaving out a large portion of anybody somewhere? No, uh, mostly, as I said, it's people who are offering to the market a service for a fee. Mm-hmm. And so that you know creates it, it, it's a very big industry, um, but you aren't leaving any out. It's but it's you know professional services, not products, uh, although some have them. But mostly, it's somebody who's offering their own professional service for a fee. How do you see the difference between the intangible service offering and the tangible product offering? And in other words, when when you approach a professional services firm, I'm going to assume that there's some nuance involved in selling that intangible. How do you deal with that? How how do you approach that as as a trainer? Well, one of the big differences between the tangible and intangible is that in large part, the intangible sale has to start with some level of authority for the person who's, who's selling. So, you know, if you have a product, 
you look at the product's features, you look at its packaging, you look at all the things that it could potentially do for you, and you make a decision where to buy. With an intangible or services sale, you, you're, you're looking at the person. You're listening to what that person says. You're assessing their authority. You're assessing their ability to do the things they say they're going to do. And then you make a decision as to whether or not you're going to you know, continue the conversation or ultimately buy something. So there's a, a big personal selling component to the intangible sale that starts with the individuals who's selling. It starts with their authority and their ability to actually make a compelling case for the sale. You, you review these things uh, in your excellent book. I, I really, really loved your book, Winning the Professional Services Sale. Uh, I, I suspect because I sell professional services and it makes a lot of sense to me, but you start off by, by talking about the five elements of a winning sales strategy. And that's, that's pretty much the first part of those elements. It's, it's the compelling story. How do you comp- create a compelling story? I suspect to build credibility with the audience. But Michael, there's, there's so many different engineers, accounting firms, legal offices, how does any individual firm create a compelling story? Well, they have, they've got a number of ways. If we're talking about marketing, that is to create that compelling story into the market um, to initially attract people to them, they have to bring that compelling story to the market that reflects some set of issues that are important to those clients and, and bring it in some kind of way that is interesting or different. If we're talking about a compelling story to create authority or to create an impression in the sales process, the way, you know, that's different. And, and the way you need to do that is to think about and demonstrate what you know about that client's situation could, and their business and how you connect that to the things that you do for them. And so the, the compelling story you create in the sales process has got to do with connecting your story with your client's issues and demonstrating that you understand them, you're walking in their shoes, and you've got something that can help them. You know, I want to work through the the remainder of your five elements of a winning sales strategy, but here I want to interject a question that just pops into my mind. What's the most common mistake that you see professional services firms committing? I mean, the people that you're working with and consulting with, what, what are one or two of the really common errors that they're making out there that you catalog on a frequent basis? Well, I, I think, you know, I think the, the, biggest, um, the biggest issue is has, it's got to do with lots of consultants and lots of professional service providers tend to think they can copy the practices of others who have been successful and, you know, copy those and that they will ha- achieve the same level of, level of success. And it just doesn't work. You know, for example, you will see a lot of consulting firms, small ones, try to mimic the either websites or marketing communication or thought leadership strategies of the big firms. And what they end up is they look like little big firms. The reason those don't, doesn't, and, and, and when it doesn't work, they wonder why. And, you know, using this example, the reason that doesn't work oftentimes is because these big firms are successful, they're running hard, they've got lots of clients, they've had them for years and years and years. They don't spend the same amount of time trying to figure out how to get to market because they've already got a significant client base. 
The smaller firms that try to just imitate those practices don't have the same advantage in the market. They've got to do something very different. So this whole notion that you can take somebody else's best practices and implement them is something that just doesn't work. And at least 99% of the time it doesn't work. And that's probably the biggest uh, mistake I see. Yeah, that's really interesting because it would be roughly analogous, I assume, uh, to me with a a small electronics company locally trying to emulate the business practices of Walmart, trying trying to use their best practices at at my scale when I have absolutely no access to the supply chain mechanism they have and all of those kinds of things. Absolutely right. I mean, you you know, you've got to look at where you are and what you want to accomplish and make your own mark in the market. And, you know, become distinctive in your own way rather than trying to look like somebody else. Because if you try to look like somebody else, two things happen. One, you look exactly like somebody else and you get eliminated because you're not representing the, that big firm the same way they are. You don't look mm-hmm. as good as them. Mm-hmm. Second thing is you're probably really boring. I mean, if you look at some of the big firms, uh, big professional service firms, their websites are dreadful. They're boring. They're poorly written. They're hard to read. And, and, and you know, as I said earlier, for those firms, it doesn't really matter. But if you take that same kind of drudgery in, in, in their copy and in their websites and you draw it into your site, you're going to bore people. They're not going to be interested in you. You've got to do something different. That's absolutely amazing because it's, it's, you're right, it's so incredibly consistent. So many people, when they represent themselves, I think that's probably the best word. They're just boring. I mean, it's not that they're not capable. They just certainly don't look like anyone different than what you can get anywhere else. Of course, Michael, you and I both know what happens at that point. The, the decision, if I'm even a part of it, simply comes down to the lowest common denominator, and that's price. And that, that's, that really that puts people in a bad way. Well, that's right. And, you know, the, the interesting part for me is, when you look at somebody's really boring website, for example, and, 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 and then you actually talk to the people behind it, they're not boring. They're usually really talented. They really know what to do. They're generally you know, quite, you know, quite good at what they do. But it doesn't come across in the way they communicate because they're copying somebody else. And that's a big problem. Well, interesting when we look at it. You know, the, the remaining five elements of the winning sales strategy, I, w- I want to go over that uh, before we get away today. But I also, I, I think you're going to have a couple of good ideas that we can share on the air today about things people should be doing a little bit differently in terms of their website. You've kind of alluded to a couple of those. But let's talk about number two and the five elements of a winning sales strategy. You talk about an airtight case for change. And, and Michael, I, I, in my experience, this is where a lot of people really falter because they can have a great uh, product or service to sell either one, but if it doesn't outweigh what it costs to change, in many cases, we'll we'll walk away losing, and sometimes not even know why. Yeah, well, the, you know, the the biggest competitor that any consultant or any professional service provider has is the you know is inertia or is the status quo, and it's so easy to say let's just not do this now, let's do this later, because it's difficult, as you say. And so finding a way to, exp- to under- first understand why your prospective client wants to do what they want to do and then help them shape that so that the story is compelling so that there's a, as John Cotter, the Harvard professor talks about, it has a burning platform. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, without that, it's, it's difficult to get the sale done 
with it, things tend to fall in place a lot more quickly because, as you say, people see the upside and they recognize that maintaining the status quo is not acceptable. Great stuff from Michael McLaughlin. He is our guest. He is the author of Winning the Professional Services Sale, and you can find him online at mindshareconsulting.com. Time for a timeout. And when we come back on the other side, we'll continue. We'll get the last three elements of a winning sales strategy and maybe a couple of ideas about what you can be doing differently with your website. That's where your customers are finding you. Absolutely important for you to be putting your best foot forward there. I'm Kelly Riggs. You're listening to The Business Locker Room. We'll be back on the other side of this timeout. Stay with us. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Kelly Riggs is an author, a highly acclaimed speaker, and a business performance coach for companies and executives across the country. Now in his eighth year as founder and president of VMAX Performance Group, Kelly has written two books, One-on-One Management, What Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't, and Quit Whining and Start Selling, a step-by-step guide to a Hall of Fame career in sales. Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. the dog days of summer for a change. The last couple of years here in the Midwest have just been crushingly hot, and we are enjoying some mild summer weather the past couple of weeks and a lot of rain. Always, always good to put those two things together in the middle of the summer. Welcome back. We're talking with Michael McLaughlin, and you can find him on Twitter at M.W. McLaughlin. And we're talking about his book, uh, Winning the Professional Services Sale. We were in the break. We were talking about writing books and how much of a uh, chore it is to get a book out. You have to have great admiration uh, for the authors out there who do this. And, Michael, I, I found your book to be very compelling. We're talking about one of the just one of the small pieces in the book, five elements of winning a, of a winning sales strategy. We talked about a compelling story and an airtight case for change, but then you jump into a comprehensive view of value, and number four, mitigation of risk, and number five, interestingly enough, trustworthiness. Let's work through those quickly. Comprehensive view of value. What do you have in mind there? Well, I think, you know, anytime that somebody wants to make a change and wants to work with you on a particular project, they've got to see, and and you have to help them see where all the value is. Sometimes clients will come to you and say, if we do this, we believe, you know, we will have, you know, fill in the blank, this effect. This will change. We'll, it will have this kind of benefit for us. 
I think it's incumbent on the people who are doing these projects to look for other things too. Look for the ancillary benefits. Sort of fill out the picture of value so that somebody has a complete view of how the work is going to actually benefit them. Yeah, and that's a great definition too. I, you know, the challenge is to me, salespeople often limit uh, their perception of value to what they do personally or what their company does personally. And yet, much of the value that they bring to the table is often the connections they have and the people they can connect you with and the other ideas and applications that they can bring to the table. And they, they really sometimes, Michael, don't seem to do a good job of including that in, in the overarching value, over, uh, value proposition. Is, is your experience similar? Yeah, it is. And I think part of the reason that that happens is that an awful lot of salespeople are very stressed. They got lots of things to do. They don't spend enough time. And, and you know, part of getting a comprehensive value, a view of value is really understanding your prospective client's business. That takes time. That's hard for a lot of salespeople to do. It's easier for them to say, here's the value of our product. Here's the value of our company. Just use us. Rather than taking a little bit more time and learning the company, really getting into the, where the real value is to that client. Uh, and, and that's really something that can lead to higher fees, longer client relationships, and a more certain sale. It, it, would, you, would you suggest that uh, people's ability to be successful in winning the professional service sale is directly proportional to the amount of pre-work that they do? Well, yeah, you know, and it, because it sort of comes back to something you said earlier about people not, you know, professional service providers not really liking selling. But, you know, the sales process for services is, a, is really a consultative process. It's one where you work with your client, figure out what's going on, figure out where you can help, figure out what needs to be done, what doesn't. And that's a consultative process. Most people are very good at that. And so, you know, you've got to spend that time really understanding the business doing the prep work, getting, getting things understood so that you can make that compelling, create that compelling story. Absolutely. I, lo- I loved your, number, your fourth element of a winning sales strategy, mitigation of risk. My suspicion is, is that most salespeople oftentimes don't even consider what that risk is and how it impacts their potential client. How do you approach that when you're training people? Well, I, you know, I think a lot of times people assume that if somebody's asking for help and they want to do projects or they want to, you know, hire you, they've already considered risk. And the easiest thing to do to keep in mind is there, when somebody's hiring somebody else from the outside, there is implied risk. It's either operational risk that the operation gets disrupted in some way. It's, it's risk for the project failing, not meeting its schedule, going over budget. There's risk for just bringing somebody in and what, you know, what happens to the, even your own career. There's all kinds of risks. The, um, the easiest way to deal with it is to deal with it. That is to be explicit about it. Understand it, recognize it, talk to your client about it, and then move forward as you create proposals in, and show how you're going to mitigate those risks. You've, to really help mitigate risk, you've got to understand them and you have to have your client try to communicate to you what those are. So that you can have, so that you have a way to deal with it. It seems to me, Michael, that if you get through those first four, by the time you get to your fifth element of a winning sales strategy, you're you're probably well down the road to being trustworthy. Yeah, and, they'll uh, trust you. And, and and you make that sort of the linchpin of the whole whole process. I, I hearken back to the old days of selling when Zig Ziglar and others would say people buy from people they like and trust, and and clearly that's true today too. 
I, I think it is, and I, I, you know, I would go back to um, something that one of your past guests, Charlie Green, said, which is, you know, you can create trust very quickly with somebody. You know, some people, Charlie would tell you that it can be done instantly, and you know, some people will tell you that it takes a really long time to create it. It doesn't. It can be done very fast. You can lose it just as fast, but it can be done quickly. But, you know, to your point, and I think it's right, that is, if you tell a compelling story, if you're working well with your client, if you're trying to identify risk, and if you're really engaging them and showing that you're understanding their business, you're showing you're working on their behalf. And if you do that, they're going to trust you. Yeah, you know, I've never thought about it that way. We talk about trust as something you have to earn as though that's a you know a lifelong enterprise. But clearly, if you show up to a sales presentation, you've done your homework, you understand their needs, the risk that they're anticipating, you know, you're making a case for change and why it's in their best. If, if everything is focused around the customer and you've spent all of your time preparing for that, that must necessarily make you very trustworthy, at least at that particular point in time. Absolutely. And all you have to do is keep it. Yeah, that's the hard part. Okay, yeah. Sometimes not as hard to get it as, as it is to keep it. Just a couple of minutes before I have to cut you loose, Michael. But before we get away, I have read some great blog posts from you. I want to ask you a little bit about that. Before I do, though, if I'm listening to this uh, production today or in a podcast, how do, I, how do I find you? Where do I get on your blogs? How do I become a subscriber? Easiest thing is just go to the website, which you have so generously uh, talked to people about. It's at mindshareconsulting.com. All of my blogs and everything I'm doing is there. And just head over. And there's a place to sign up for a newsletter. We send it out a few times a month. And just head over. Folks, if you're listening, Michael is one of the guys that I've uh, been reading his stuff for quite a long time now and uh, really impressed with the quality of his work and, and the insight that he has. One of those things, Michael, is you, you had a particular blog post that goes back a little ways, but you, you talked about how so many professional services firms are really, really blowing it on their websites. And, and we sort of alluded to that uh, in today's broadcast. But what, what are one or two things that, that someone could go look at and immediately make some changes and have an impact on the way they're perceived? Well, the, you know, there are some, we, we did talk a little bit about the sort of the boring factor. Yes. But if we, if we drill down a little bit on that, here are a couple of, here, here are a couple of things you can change on your website probably today uh, and make a big difference. If you look at most service providers' websites, they're very, you know, they're very company-centric. That is, you'll see the words us, we, I, you know, the, uh, our clients, our people, our company. Everything's about them. If you just change the orientation of your, even your navigation and talk about issues that your clients face, the, uh, the, the services that you can offer, if you can find ways to sort of reduce the number of times that you use the words us, we, our, I, uh, and, and be much more client-focused you will probably find that people will stay on your site, they'll respond to what you're doing, and, and you'll generate more leads. Simple change, but if you look at your nav bar and it says, our company, our services, our people, our this, our that, contact us, you probably got some opportunities to bring some more focus to your clients on your, on your website. That's Ouch. one big one. Ouch. Yeah. I, I, okay. Thanks. Now I have to go check the website at the bizlockerroom.com website. We've got to make some changes. <laughs> no, no question about that. Hey, it's been great having you on board, Michael. Hey, are you familiar with SMPS, by the way? I referenced them in the opener. Of course. 
Of course, yes. The Society for Marketing Professional Services had the opportunity to be there this past week. Michael McLaughlin has been our guest. And again, want to refer you to his excellent blog, MindshareConsulting.com, and encourage you to uh, follow him on Twitter, M.W. McLaughlin. Michael, thanks for your time. I know you're a very busy man. I appreciate it so much. And, and by the way, thank you so much for your support of uh, my, my book last year. Oh, it's a pleasure, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Very good. Hey, we're going to take a final time out. And when we come back on the other side, uh, we'll bring Miles Austin into the locker room and we'll do our X's and O's segment. Remember, it's brought to you by 4D Sales. Take a look at them at 4dsales.com. I'm going to take that break now. We'll be right back. I'm Kelly Riggs. You're listening to the Business Locker Room. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Kelly Riggs is an author, a highly acclaimed speaker, and a business performance coach for companies and executives across the country. Now in his eighth year as founder and president of VMAX Performance Group, Kelly has written two books, One-on-One Management, What Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't, and Quit Whining and Start Selling, a step-by-step guide to a Hall of Fame career in sales. Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Hey, thanks for joining us. We're in the business locker room, show number 17. Feature guest Mike McLaughlin, many thanks to him for sticking around uh, for a couple of breaks there and uh, spending some time with us. And uh, we welcome in our good friend Miles Austin to the X's and O's segment. The X's and O's segment brought to you by 4D Sales, our partners in the show. We love these guys and we love their tool. It's a tablet-based sales tool. You can use it on iPad or Windows 8 devices. And if you're in sales or you present information to clients on a regular basis, why are you not using this particular product? I have been in the sales and marketing business for a long, long time. In fact, I mentioned the SMPS meeting last week. I brought it up in the middle of my presentation and asked the audience, how many of you have heard of this tool? Nobody had. I'm expecting them to all get involved at some level because for what professional marketers do, it puts all of your materials together on an iPad or a Windows 8 tablet all in one place, and everything is available, price lists, brochures, PDFs, slide decks, web pages, videos, you name it, and it provides a consistency in those presentations. You have absolutely everything you need at your disposal and ready to use. You can check them out, and I encourage you to do so, 4dsales.com, one of the original sponsors here of the Business Locker Room. Miles, welcome to the show. Great to have you in the X's and O's segment. 
Excited to be here, Kelly. Excited to be here. I got to tell you real quick before we get into our topic today, I was on a sales call early, early this morning for breakfast with a gentleman who leads a company here in Seattle area. Um, I was using my tablet, my iPad. I was using 4D sales, and I honestly had to ask him three times to get my iPad back. He loved it. Uh, Brian and the guys over at 4D are going to love to hear that story. I, I had some very similar experiences uh, in San Antonio this week, just talking about the ideas and giving people a glimpse of it. Uh, they were like, holy cow, where, where do I find out more? So I, I think they've got a winner there. And clearly you and I are both using it in some of our in- interactions. It's uh, it's a great tool. I've never seen anything that is that easy. I mean, it's just almost scary that somebody didn't come up with it a lot sooner. Well, I'll tell you what, you just hit the key word for today's tool. So great segue, my friend. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We talk about Canva, C-A-N-V-A at Canva.com. And uh, this was something that you and I both sort of mentioned at the same time in a conversation a couple of weeks ago. I know you're using it. I'm using it. Give us an overview. What is Canva? Canva is Photoshop for us normal people with no <laughs> skills. I, mean, I, I never would have thought of that. I mean, that's that's truly funny. Uh, yeah, I, and clearly we don't have much skill in that arena, uh, but this thing makes it so easy. So, uh, get, get, okay, more details. You bet. It's it's really, just think about it this way. It is, it is a very flexible, powerful graphics creation tool that is visual in nature, meaning that it's template-driven. It's, it's drag and drop. It suggests and gives you... Um, suggestions as an example based on that magic that we talked about last week in Haiku Deck. You can type in a keyword that is the, the, the uh, focus of your graphic that you're going to create or your image or whatever, and it will bring up images that have that keyword in it in some way. It's a great example of big data being used in a very positive way. So you, you literally go out, and, and let's, I'll use an example of probably most of us on, on uh, um, the, the uh, call today have, have had experiences with. Facebook, um, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever it might be, they have all these new, uh, really nice-looking big images that are the background of your page. Well, first of all, every one of them is a different size. Every one of them has different specifications, and there's some difference in what format you need to use in order to import it. Well, Canva, just one small example, gives you the ability pre-laid out the right dimensions for things like a Facebook cover, a Google Plus cover, uh, your Twitter your Twitter header that you use. So it's a quick, easy way to get things done. Um, it's free. There's nothing to download. It's unbelievably flexible, very easy to use. And by the way, I love their blog. I'm getting, I, I subscribe to this. Um, I love the hints, the examples uh, that they provide. They were, the last one they just wrote was about text and how to use text in different fonts for impact and to convey the message you want to convey. Very powerful stuff. Even if you're just using it for something to create maybe a slide. Uh, I, use, I use Canva in connection with Haiku Deck from last week to create presentations that literally just people stop and take a look at and can't oh. believe I created it. Oh, that's so irritating because I was just going to show how brilliant I was by pointing out that Haiku Deck and Canva could go together, but you beat me to it. Uh, <laughs> but but it, it's a great point. 
Uh, and and I, you know, I'm glad you brought up the blog because I am just like you. Today at uh, 2:30 my time, I got their blog, uh, and here's what's in the in the uh, the blog post, or actually their uh, email newsletter. The Canva blog: A guide to designing cute quote graphics. Five tips to make your brand pop. An easy guide to creating a presentation in Canva. Their stuff is absolutely phenomenal, and and these world class images. You don't have to use them. You can use your own, the ones that are generated by Haiku Deck and, and your own that you get somehow. But these world-class images, Miles, I'm I'm shocked. If you use one of Canva's images, it costs a whole dollar, yep. one dollar. And and remember, just to point out for the listeners, Kelly, that there's there's lots of images that are free, but yes. they have this premium capability, right? So if you find one that just just knock your socks off, it's a buck. And you have full rights to use it for those purposes. And and for what it's worth, you can use these images, create your, your presentation, and import that image into your work with Haiku Deck. So, again, it's you're starting to see here all of a sudden with the power of the web and all these web-based tools, um, you literally could do all of that creation off of an iPhone or an iPad do all the work, create the thing, present the thing, upload it to 40 sales. And again, you've never done anything other than use your iPhone or your tablet. It's that powerful. Yeah, I look back at where we've come in 20 or 25 years. It's so easy to actually create and sustain a business in a very, very small platform in the number of people that you use. Typically, Miles, to do the kinds of things that you can do with Canva and or Haiku Deck, I mean, you would have to hire a professional graphics agency. You'd have to hire a marketing person. Uh, this, this, You mentioned it. You and I, who are not exactly stellar, at, at least compared to the professionals in this neighborhood, uh, we're, we're not graphics guys. And yet, I've seen some of the stuff you're doing and some of the stuff I'm doing. It's it's actually reasonably decent. <laughs> it's only because of Canva. It really is. In fact, you and I have uh, shared some conversation, and we haven't shared it with the listeners yet for this tool that creates ebook covers. And the truth is, in many cases, I go create the, the basic look of what I want to accomplish in Canva, import it into this, uh, to the template creator in the ebook covers, and create something that turns it into 3D and makes it look really cool. But again, they're all intertwined, and that's why I'm always so amazed when people have a hesitancy to just explore these tools. When they're free, there's no downloads, there's no hassle, they're platform independent usually, um, and they're this powerful. It's like, guys, you're, you're just missing the boat. Yeah, especially when you've seen as many bad PowerPoint presentations as you and I have, as many bad graphics as you and I have had uh, that we've experienced. What what is on Canva, folks? If you're listening in, is you you can you can make a presentation slide, you can make a social media slide, a poster slide, a Facebook cover slide. You can create blog graphics, as Miles mentioned, a Kindle ebook cover. You can create Pinterest slides that you can pin immediately to your account, Google Plus Photos, Twitter headers, and, and I'm just getting started. You can make your own business cards, your own invitations, your, your own Facebook ads, and you're thinking, Kelly, why in the world would I do that? Because it comes out amazing, costs you nothing, and you can put it together very easily yourself. I mean, it's, it's just one of the really great business tools. And frankly, if you're still doing PowerPoint presentations the old-fashioned way and they're bullet-ridden, 
you sh- you should be taken out back and shot. I mean, <laughs> it's just there's too many tools, Miles. There's too many ways to make your presentations look world class. Well, you know what? It, it just points out. I think when people come to me sometimes and say, "Miles, I just kind of feel like I'm getting left behind. Maybe it's age. Maybe I haven't kept up in my career. Whatever it might be." The bottom line, I tell them, is, "Look, you, you're at, you know, act like it. Act like you have a clue what's going on." You have to use these tools in order to stay sharp, to keep the, you know, the point of that spear um, sharp and, and honed down. Uh, but I'll, I'll use a great example that I, I never would have had any ability to do in the past, and that's to create this new, very powerful thing that we've all seen on social media and in blogs and things called infographics. Yes. It's a proven, successful way to communicate either simple or, in some cases, fairly complex um, ideas and concepts. And with Canva, let me tell you, you're going you're gonna to sit back and be patting yourself on the back. It's that powerful and very similar, again, to last week's tool with Haiku Deck. They've done a great job of really, with, they'll let you do whatever you want, but they're going to give you some guidance. And there's, they kind of bump you back in. It's kind of like going uh, bowling with my grandkids, and, and they put those bumpers in the bowling lanes, right? Yes. It's still a lot of fun, but they're not going to let you fail all the way. They're really good at it. Well, it's, it's really exciting, and it's why we always have Miles on the show to do X's and O's because this is where the rubber meets the road. It's really where you find out about tools that can make an enormous difference in the way you do business. Make sure you check out Miles. If you're not already following him, fillthefunnel.com is his website and blog, and, of course, you want to follow him at Miles Austin on Twitter. Great stuff, Miles. Looking forward to next week. Any idea what we're going to talk about next week? Absolutely, but I'm not going to tell everyone. It's a surprise. Oh, be that way. All right, so you'll have to check uh, check for our announcement coming out uh, tomorrow about next week's show. And speaking of next week's show, Josh Allen Dykstra will join us. He is the author of Igniting the Invisible Tribe, dis- uh, de- Designing an Organization That Doesn't Suck. Uh, he-, he works out uh, in California. And he is the co-founder of a consulting firm called Strengths Doctors. I'm really excited to have him on board. The week after that, Jeff Shore will join us. He's the author of Be Bold and Win the Sale. He is uh, involved in research-based methodology that he calls Be Bold. You'll want to make sure you check in with us. Well, that's going to do it for today's show. we got to check out of here another great edition of the Business Locker Room. Thanks to Michael Sergit. He makes us sound good. Thanks to our producer, Brandy Jackson. And a special thanks to 4D Sales for sponsoring Miles Austin in the X's and O's segment. Uh, That's going to do it for us this week. And we'll look forward to seeing you again next week right here in the Business Locker Room. I'm Kelly Riggs. Send me a message, kelly at bizlockerroom.com. Find about our new show coming up next at bizlockerroom.com. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining the Business Locker Room with your host, Kelly Riggs. Kelly will be back again next week for more business building content and conversation for your playbook. Tune in Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel for another edition of the Business Locker Room. Remember, business is a competition. Play to win. Play to win.